And as you are, I invite you to uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Malachi. And um, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, you'll find that there's one hopefully in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, unless lots of people responded to what I'm about to say. And that is, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, we'd invite you to uh, take that one uh, as your own, as a gift from us to you, um, recognizing it's probably better in your hands than it is uh, sitting there through the week. We'll replace it. So uh, if you're newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And I want to start uh, right off the bat with a question that I want you to consider. And that is this. Would you say, has there been a time in your life other than now, that you'd say you felt more connected to God. That as you identify the day in your life where you were to say, I'm the closest to God, would that day be another day than this day? That if you were to say, when I felt the closest to God in my life, um, is that this very day, this very season of your life? Maybe. But if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, um, there's a chance, and maybe even a good chance, that there was a time, other than now, that you felt more connected to God. Maybe for you it was a spiritually significant event, uh, such as a mission trip or a retreat, or maybe even a worship service here that met you right where and when you needed it. Uh, And you remember being so close to God that you were absolutely assured you would never drift from that connection that you had with him in that moment and in those days. But you would say on this day, looking back compared to that day, that you have, that maybe you have drifted from that. Maybe um, when you felt most connected to God was actually, and even with a bit of irony, one of the most difficult seasons of your life. Where maybe at the front end of that experience, you would actually say you couldn't felt further from God, but uh, maybe we could say as a result of your persistence, and more so as we prayed earlier, God's faithfulness, as those two things intersected, you were on that mountaintop of understanding that you are more connected to God in that moment, in that space, um, than you'd ever been prior, and you swore you would never uh, leave that connection uh, in the future. But on this day, compared to that, you would say, Uh, Maybe you have. Maybe you've drifted from that connection. But maybe for some in the room, uh, this is the day, this is the season that right now you would say, this is where I feel closest to God, closer than ever. Well, I would encourage you to enjoy and embrace and and learn from that mountaintop experience, uh, recognizing something you probably intuitively already know, that even your commitment to stay connected to whatever that is, that we don't live our whole lives on the mountaintop, that uh, much of life and our, our faith sometimes is in the flatlands uh, or the plains, if you will, spiritually speaking, or maybe even in the valley. And so uh, as we kind of unpack this idea today, maybe you can take some good notes that you can file away for that day when it does come. Because for many of us, uh, there was a time, other than now, that we would say we felt more connected to God. So the question is, why didn't that connection last? What caused the drift that we swore would never happen, that the connection uh, to God that we knew we would never let drift away from us. How did, um, could you say, maybe one little thing lead to the next, that led to the next, that led to another, that find ourselves all of a sudden adrift from God? Well, I want you to take a look at one of my favorite commercials in a series of commercials that come out of uh, DirecTV about how uh, a domino effect happens, how one little thing seemingly insignificant can lead to the next, it can lead to the next, it can lead to the next, step. before you know it, uh, you're very far from where you ever thought uh, you would end up being. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. 
When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. <laughs> I laugh every time. Those are great. Well, as silly as that is, the idea that of being put on hold is much frustrating as that actually is to all of us. That can somehow lead us being beat up in a roadside ditch. Uh, as silly as it is, how quickly it does reflect, how quickly small things can domino effect as one thing leads to the next to lead into bigger things. And for us, for our purposes today, uh, it reflects how even the smallest little drifts, the things that seem simply insignificant, can lead to one thing that lead to the next, that lead to the next, that before we know it, there is a great chasm between us and the Lord that we were certain we would never find ourselves in. And the truth is we all face that. We all face that temptation, those seasons where we could easily begin to drift or be adrift from God. Uh, what might start with simply um, not being or feeling as connected maybe to God as you did on that mountaintop experience. You find yourself kind of back in the plains and we know that we don't live on the mountain. So you don't make too big a deal of finding yourself kind of in the flatlands. But maybe you find yourself in the flatlands missing the mountaintop experience. And in missing that mountaintop experience, uh, you grow bored with the flatlands. And maybe in your boredom or your indifference, you find yourself maybe being tempted by things or old temptations that you thought you'd never have to face again and be maybe facing those old temptations, you find yourself falling into sin that, and the kind of sin that you never thought you'd find yourself in. And then falling into that sin, you find yourself very separated from God or feeling very separated from God. And it, it may be even frustrated and angry toward God in the drift that was caused by your own choices. And so this idea of one thing leading to the next that leads to the next, this kind of situation, this is a situation that we see happening, this domino effect uh, in the book of Malachi. Uh, it, Malachi is one of the 12 minor prophets that we've been studying uh, at various points throughout the year in our series on them. And if you've been with us, Pastor Wayne, as he's pointed out each week, just a reminder that they're not called minor uh, because their message was minor in any way, but simply uh, their prophecy, what they had to say was just a little shorter than their maybe long-winded contemporaries like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And so a lot of their prophets, uh, prophecies only take up two or three pages in the Bible, so it's always hard to find, so the page numbers always help. So with that, uh, there is nothing minor about their message as we've seen if you've been with us over the last several weeks, and the same continues to be true uh, for the message that Malachi is bringing to God's people. And so we see Malachi speaking to God's people of the Old Testament, often referred to as the Israelites. And to the Israelites in Malachi's time, their answer to the question we asked at first, has there been a time in your life other than now that you felt more connected to God? The answer would have certainly been a resounding yes. Uh, for the people of Malachi's time, for God's people. And here's why. You see, throughout the Minor Prophets, we've been looking at both uh, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. And particularly, the last several weeks, we've examined the southern kingdom, Judah, who uh, in 586 BC, they were conquered by Babylon. And when they're and being conquered, they were exiled to Babylon uh, to serve them uh, in, in captivity. But then, good news, 48 years later, they were, by the grace of God, freed. They were freed to head back home to where they could rebuild uh, their temple and thus worship uh, and freely worship God uh, appropriately again. And so God had rescued them from, you could say, the valley of exile and brought them to that mountaintop experience uh, of being rescued by God and being able to return home in a season where arguably they would say, man, look what God has done for us. We will never leave this great connection, this mountaintop experience that God has provided for us. 
however, as you can predict, um, has, is the case throughout multiple times in the course of Israel's history throughout the Old Testament, uh, they did forget. And they did drift uh, from the God and from the moment where they swore they would never drift away. And they couldn't have been more closer to God. And in turn, as a result of their drifting from God, they actually began to doubt God's commitment then toward them, even blaming God for the difference and, uh, excuse me, for the, the drifting between them. And what really happened was they weren't necessarily saying, well, we don't believe in God anymore, but they were committed that God just didn't care about them anymore, that there was just indifference, this malaise, this kind of whateverness towards God. And so um, in the midst of this drift from God, God speaks to his people through the prophet Malachi, and he exposes it. If you read Malachi this past week, you see there's this back and forth dialogue between God and the people to kind of expose why this drift has taken place. And so we're going to look at the ways uh, in which that drift uh, caused and how the people ended up adrift from God. And then, of course, what does God say to do about it? And then from there, we'll examine our own lives and what causes us to begin to drift from God or find ourselves adrift from God. And then, of course, what does God encourage us then to do about it? And so, with that, we're going to look at Malachi, starting uh, chapter 1, verse 1, right off at the beginning there. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you, the people, you ask, how have you loved us? And so, right out of the gate, Malachi exposes the drift in the people. He exposes it by recognizing that the people are doubting that God even loves them. And so God responds in subsequent verses, reminding the people how he chose them by choosing their ancestor, Jacob, in the beginning. And then God goes on to say, since you've kind of got it wrong here, let me define reality for you. He defines reality for the people and what really is taking place and that the drift is not God's uh, fault, but it is the, the choosing of the people to have drifted from God. And so the first thing that God exposes is the people were failing to honor him, to worship him properly. Uh, chapter one, verse six, it says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father... Where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. And then here he's speaking to the leaders of the priests of the nation, but later to all the people, he says that, uh, the Lord says, you show contempt for my name. So Malachi the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, God is saying, if I'm your heavenly father, if I'm your master, if I'm your Lord, why don't you treat me as such? And God says, not only are you not giving me the honor due me, but you are going beyond that and even showing contempt for my name. In other words, uh, they're getting arrogant towards God. They're getting sued. They're turning up their noses toward God and toward the things of God. And so as a result of that um, arrogance toward God, that frustration with God, the reality of when they gather for worship is it was a charade. It was a farce. Uh, They're merely kind of a going through the motions, half-hearted at best in their worship gatherings. And so God responds to that reality in verse 10. He says, Oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Basically, God is saying, why bother even showing up to worship if you're not going to actually worship anyway? Why bother to show up to just half-heartedly go through the motions? Better for you just to shut the doors of the church and not even bother coming in. Just stay home. 
And so, as the people fail to revere God by honoring God in true worship, uh, we see how that one thing leads to the next, how that dominoes into chapter two of Malachi, where we read of the people's continued drift from God in their sin. Their very specific sin at their time was through marital unfaithfulness. And that in this particular situation, the men were flippantly, you could say, divorcing their wives. Verse 14 of chapter two says, as the Lord, as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And why were they divorcing their wives? Well, not because of any marital unfaithfulness or anything wrong on the, on the lady's part, but really simply because the guys wanted new ones. The guys wanted new wives. They were basically, uh, you could say, sending away what would be the ancient version of male order brides. They were marrying off foreign women who, um, and this is where their sin kind of goes from bad to worse, they were marrying foreign women who worshipped other gods, false gods, uh, rather than the one true God. And so, of course, kind of intermarrying with other religions, this is causing yet even a further drift uh, from the one true God and God's people, as it says in chapter 2, verse 11. Judah, God's people, says they have been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. And so then, following that sin, uh, domino effect, one thing leads to the next. Chapter 3, God reveals how the people's uh, functional lack of faith and lack of trust in him uh, is playing out by their withholding uh, the tithes and the offerings due God. In that the people were disregarding that it was God that gave them, as BJ said kind of in our, in our prayer for the offering, rec- they had missed that God had given them 100% of what they had by not honoring the command to give back 10%, to give back a tithe. That's literally what a tithe is. A tithe is a tenth. And so the people had not given back 10% of the 100% that had come from God in the first place. As it says in chapter 3, verse 8. It says, God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you, the people, you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, says the Lord. And so all this drifting, uh, it was not without consequence. As throughout Malachi, one of the complaints that the people of God continue to bring is that God is not blessing them, uh, to which to this point, actually, God agrees. As we read on in verse 9, he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And so by robbing God of the 10%, the curse really was that their 100% really wasn't amounting to a whole lot because there, there was no blessing on their crops or on their harvest or on their livestock. And so the reality was is they were receiving little because they were trusting God little. And then Amidst uh, this curse uh, that they put themselves under by robbing God uh, of the tithe, God says, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, so we're kind of bouncing back and forth to get the kind of big story that's going on. But it says, basically, the result of all this uh, domino effect of being adrift from God, uh, the people, God says that the people flood the Lord's altars with tears. It says, you weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And then verse 14, you ask why? Why I don't hear you? And again, uh, what we read earlier with their unwarranted flippant divorce, it is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth, and you've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. 
And so what this reveals is one thing kind of leads to the next is that all these dominoes are falling into one another. They are all interconnected. All of this drift is one thing connected to another. And as a result of the people's drift from God, they are thus choosing to remove themselves from the connection and the care from God that naturally results in having the blessings of God over their life. That as you trace the story through Malachi, you can see um, just how one thing leads to the next, it leads to the next, it leads to the next, to their eventual total separation um, and drift from God. That it all started with the reality that they didn't trust God, and they didn't trust God with the 10%, therefore they weren't getting very much to call uh, their 100%. And because they didn't have much to call their 100%, they were offering up uh, in response to like, half-hearted, lame sacrifices in worship. And because they were offering up lame, half-hearted sacrifices in worship and uh, in sin, divorcing their wives for bright, shiny new ones, God was not accepting their half-hearted worship. And because God was not accepting their half-hearted worship, um, they spoke arrogantly against the Lord, uh, summing up their frustration with the drift from God in this way in chapter 3, verse 14. They basically said, as a result of all this, where we're at with God, what's the point? They said, verse 14, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? That in the end, as a result of their drift, they were pointing their finger at God for the drift. Um, but as kind of the, the metaphor says that, you know, when you point a finger, you need to look at the other three fingers uh, pointing back at you. They need to look back at themselves and recognize that it wasn't God that caused this drift but it was them. It was the people in their own choosing to drift from God. They got further and further and further from God. And by getting further and further from God, they were separated um, themselves from what naturally comes uh, in blessing from being connected and close to God. And the reality is uh, that same drift, it can happen to us. That for us, when we choose to allow ourselves to drift just a little bit from God, that leads to farther and farther and farther from God. And before we know it, we're not connected to God, thus receiving the blessing of God in our lives. And then by the end of it, we are frustrated with God and uh, you end up in a roadside ditch. Don't end up in a roadside ditch. I mean, that's kind of a joke, but I've actually heard those stories where people got far and they end up in, in ditches. And so, um, you know, if this is where Malachi ends, frankly, Malachi stinks. And if this is where the sermon ends, the sermon stinks. Because this is all bad news. This is nothing we want to hear before walking out of the room. Uh, however, with our God, the reality is of who God is, is that there is always good news, that he brings good news. And so recognizing that if there's, you know, bad news, good news, give me the bad news first, what then is the good news? What is the good news in the reality that the people of God are in a drifted state uh, from God? What is the good news that if we find ourselves drifting or in an adrift state from God? What is the good news? What are we to do? Well, the answer can be summed up in um, what I would argue is the staple verse in all of Malachi, uh, and that is this one, chapter 3, verse 7, where God says this, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and then I will return to you. That if you have drifted from God, God's call is to return to him, and he will return to you the blessings that come from being connected to him. Now, uh, one might ask, okay, so how is it that we return to God? In fact, God, anticipating that, recorded that same question on behalf of God's people uh, in the rest of verse 7 there, where it says, but you ask, how are we to return? 
Well, the answer for the people of Malachi's time um, in that the tipping point issue for their one thing leading to another was their issue of not trusting God with the tithe, as we saw in verse 8 and 9, uh, where it says that um, they were robbing God of the tithes and offerings. And since they were drifting from God, since that pivot point was their not trusting God with the tithe, on the inverse, that same pivot point to be able to return back to God for them uh, was also the same issue that got them started, and that was uh, trusting God with the tithe. And so verse 7 says, how do we return? Verse 10, God says for his people, we'll bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will come, will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So what God is telling his people is that he wanted to bless their 100% by them stepping out in faith and trust with the 10%. And so the, for the people of Malachi's time, the same tipping point that was withholding uh, the tithe that caused the drift in the first place was also going to be the same tipping point that would allow them to return back to God, to turn the drift in a positive way rather than a negative, uh, back toward God and toward the blessings of God. And uh, this is such a sure thing from God's point of view that he actually says, in my understanding, this is the only time God says this in the scriptures. He actually says in verse 10 to test me in this. God is saying, try me says the Lord Almighty, and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so that was the case for Malachi, or the people of Malachi's time. But what about for us? When we find ourselves drifting or adrift from God, what is our response? Well, just like the people of Malachi, we must first identify why it is we are drifting, what's causing that drift, what's starting that drift, um, that we might recognize that tipping point, that we might then identify that same place in which we need to tip back towards God, that we might return to God, that he can return to us, uh, his blessing and his care that come naturally by being connected to him, as it says in Malachi 3.7. And so how can you return to God? That to the question, has there ever been a time in your life other than now that you were more connected to God? What can you do to stop the drift and return back to God? Um, we're going to kind of answer it this way as we, as we close here this morning, that how can we move, um, well, maybe just like the, guy, the people of Malachi's time, they were going through the motions, showing up to worship. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you recognize you're here this morning, but that's about it. You come in, you leave, but if you're honest with yourself, there's some indifference, there's some drift, there's some uh, malaise about this whole God thing in your life of late. And so how can you, where there is indifference, do something different? How can you, where there is indifference, do something different that could make all the difference in your relationship with and your connection to God? And so we want to look at a, a few ideas that can help you stop that drift and turn back to God uh, once again. And so one way that you might uh, return to your relationship with God is we could say to actually have a relationship with God, to actually practice your relationship with God. Uh, if you think back on to when you first became a Christian, you might recall some language to the effect of the very thing we were signing on for was a relationship with God. 
that we understood that we are separated from God because of sin. We're separated from perfect God through our imperfect sin. And because of Jesus Christ uh, forgiving our sin, we are brought back into a, a right relationship with God. Uh, both now in this life and that lasts for all of eternity. And so uh, just by kind of any agreed upon understanding of what a relationship is, a relationship takes place in actually spending time together and communication and being together. And so if you would say that you're spending no time in the relationship that you have with God in a given day, maybe um, if you were to say you have, if you were to ask, or I would ask you, how many minutes a day do you spend with God? And you were to say, zero minutes. Well, then maybe a good starting place for you would be one minute. And that might seem simple or little, like what about five or 15, at least challenge us. Well, if you're at zero minutes, um, I think one minute would be considered an exponential increase from zero minutes. And so given that, um, a resource that will help you uh, make the most of that minute that I'd recommend is something we've uh, talked about around here is uh, a digital Bible called YouVersion. And uh, it's a web-based Bible application that you can find. Uh, you can find a link to it on our homepage at firstdecatur.org. And you can view, um, you know, what I love about this thing uh, is not only can you read the Bible, but within it, the reason I recommend this rather than, you know, the, just the Bible generally, is what I'm really pointing to is uh, the vast number of reading plans that are on there. Because, you know, the thing is kind of thick and sometimes you don't know where to start. And so Uversion has tons and tons of reading plans, uh, short and long, short in that, okay, I can probably commit to something for like a week and start there, to I want to do something for a whole year, and also short and long in duration. Like, I'd like to take on 15 minutes of reading a day, or I've only got one minute a day. There are all kinds of plans with different goals that can help you do that. Uh, whether you actually read it online or not, doesn't matter. I would recommend it because of the reading plans that will help you get into God's Word for, for maybe zero minutes to one minute a day. In fact, if you open up the application on like a tablet or phone, if you have uh, that opportunity, um, the first thing that comes up is what's called verse of the day. And that was the verse of the day on Friday at 3.51 p.m. as I was wrapping up this message for you. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I think that took two seconds which would give you about 58 seconds to um, consider that, to pray about that, and to give thanks to God, and just see how maybe one minute a day could invite God, be a good starting place to infuse him into all the minutes of your day. And so, um, maybe for you, if you're seeing that you're drifting from your relationship with God, it might be to actually have and practice that relationship with God by taking some time each day uh, to reflect on his word, um, the Bible, and uh, spend some time with him in prayer. Um, another way that you might need or be able to move from indifference to actually doing something different that could make all the difference in your relationship with God is to get connected with other people who have a relationship with God and understanding that's what the church is. A church is a group of people who have relationships with one another who all together are encouraging one another's relationship with God. And the way that we practice that here at first um, is through what we call grow together groups and serve together groups. And you can find out more about those groups that exist uh, out on the Get Connected wall, out in the lobby. Um, and, and the reason we have these groups, honestly, uh, we don't actually believe you are so bored in your life that you're looking for something to fill the time for another program or another event or another uh, commitment in your life. But that 
we actually believe what Scripture says, where it says that it is through growing in our relationship with God and doing that together as a church and serving one another and serving others on behalf of God and doing that together as a church, that is in that, that we actually can make, where there is indifference, make a difference in our relationship with God, others' relationship with God, our relationship with God together. That's what it means to be the church, to be growing and serving together. In fact, one of the cornerstone passages that we lean into for our understanding of this uh, comes out of the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is really a book all about uh, challenging us to increase our faith and stay committed to our faith. And it's kind of like a book on prevention of drift. It's like the drift prevention book to keep the faith and not drift from God. And so the way that uh, the writer of Hebrews says it is, let us not, um, or excuse me, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is uh, basically until the day that Jesus comes back again. And so the reality is this verse has no application in our lives if, I guess you could say, is we really can't give up meeting together. We can't give up encouraging one another if uh, there is no meeting together or one another in the first place. If there is no uh, doing life in faith and growing and serving together in the first place. We can't give it up if we never had it to begin with. And so, again, at First Christian, our understanding of what basically every church does in a different way, uh, hopefully beyond sitting shoulder to shoulder on a weekend service, um, is getting together in some sort of smaller context to actually be the church, to be in relationship together, uh, rather than just shoulder to shoulder uh, sitting in pews. And so growing together and serving together is a way to get connected uh, in relationships with other Christians as you guys encourage one another's relationship uh, with the Lord. Um, Maybe for you, to move from indifference to making a difference uh, in your relationship with God is uh, maybe like the people of Malachi's time. Maybe you need to step out in faith and trust uh, to God in tithing, if you are not already. And uh, I'll go ahead and just throw the disclaimer right out at the beginning here, that when it comes to the topic of generosity, of tithing, of giving, when that comes up in our preaching rotation here um, at first, it is not because um, the church is in need, in funds, uh, in need of funds. Uh, and really the reality is, is that's thanks to you all as a whole and the generosity of this church. In fact, to be really candid, I, I'm aware of enough churches to know that this is one of the most generous churches uh, that I've ever heard of. And so um, thankfully, that is when we talk about this, that's not the posture in which this topic comes up. So please know really when it comes up, it's just like any other spiritual practice that we would encourage you to increase your faith and to increase your trust in God. That when we preach about um, giving or any other thing, it's all about growing you in your faith. It's about you becoming a more devoted follower of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And so to this particular topic, the reality is when we give generously back to God, it increases our faith and God blesses that trust uh, in many ways. One way sometimes is through physical, tangible blessings that come through, you could say, on the bottom line for us. That when we choose to trust God with the 10%, he blesses our 100% in new and unique ways, just like he promised in the book of Malachi. But also a huge part um, of what happens in, in blessing us in our generosity and our giving is, and I know this is the case for me, 
someone who, frankly, just being real honest before you, is terrible when it comes to this stuff in that I worry, I stress, I am, I am ultra control freak when it comes to uh, finances and resources and making sure everything's spoken for and getting all that straight in my house. I know that's something I really struggle with. And so for me, when it comes to tithing and generosity, that within me, what God does is the blessing of transforming my worry, transforming my anxiety and my perspective in a way that really, for me, functionally puts my trust in God. It really speaks to where I'm putting my trust in that. Uh, the act of giving, yes, it proclaims boldly to God, yes, I trust you, but it also proclaims boldly to myself. It proclaims boldly to myself, clearly, I am trusting God to provide rather than myself. Um, and, and it releases my tendency to have a really tight grip on having to be in control of everything and tangibly stepping back to release control to who I say I trust to control and be sovereign in my life, and that's God. And I'll be honest, with my struggle in that, um, that step of faith does not just naturally come easy to me. Just because I stand up here with the microphone doesn't mean it's any easier for me than it is for you. I mean, if we're honest, it doesn't matter whether you make $20 a week or $20,000 a week. 10% of the 100% is a significant check to write. And so it is, in one of the most tangible, touchable uh, ways, a way to truly proclaim our faith, our trust, uh, in God rather than ourselves. And then lastly, maybe for you, to move from indifference uh, to doing something different. Um, oh, actually, wait, I want to say one more thing. Sorry, that's what happens when you do this a few times. Um, where does this... Yes, I want to read you a quote that... Um, Frankly, this is where my whole life changed on this whole topic, uh, where I struggled with the idea of, of the tithe and trusting. And it's the reality of this, that when we give back to God, um, as BJ said, it first shows, A, that um, we believe that 100% came from God in the first place, and then B, this is the thing that changed my life on this whole thing. It was the reality that I believe that God can do more in my life with 90% of my income blessed by him than I can with 100% of my income not blessed. It's a step of faith to say, God, you can do more with 90% of my income blessed by you than I can with 100% on my own. And so again, it is a step of functional, actual, tangible trust in God. So if that's maybe you, where you've been adrift, it might be a turning place for you. And then lastly, where you might be uh, indifferent towards God and you could do something different that makes all the difference in your relationship with God. You might need to repent of very specific sin in your life. Just like the men, uh, the adulterous men of Malachi was calling out. You see, the reality is we all respond to sin in one of two different ways. When we find sin in our lives, we either run from God. We don't just drift when it comes to sin and God. We, we tend to want to run and hide and shame and guilt, saying we can't even kind of go to God with this. And frankly, that's exactly what the enemy, what Satan wants us to do when we're faced with sin in our lives. Or we can run the other way. We can run toward God with sin as, um, I guess, in contrast to how it feels like we should be able to do. We embrace the truth of what Jesus Christ made a way for us to do. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his forgiveness of our sin, through him, if we confess our sin, it says in 1 John, if we confess to God, 
He is faithful and he is just. And he is just in that Jesus Christ paid the price, not us. That he will forgive us our sins and then purify us from all unrighteousness. And so when there's sin in your life, don't run from God claiming, well, once I get this thing ironed out, well, then I'll go back to God and then we'll be all, all good. No, that is, a, that is a lie of Satan. It is in the midst of sin that we most need to run to God and say, God, I don't know how we're gonna get this fixed. I don't know how I'm gonna get it fixed. And you confess that to God and then you, you're reminded by God that it is not you that's gonna fix the sin. That it is him who does what it says in 1 John 1, 9. That it is him that forgives us and it is him also who purifies us and frees us both, not just eternally, but on this earth can free us from the bondage and the hold that actual sin has in our life. That, they would, that God would purify us from all unrighteousness. And so, as, as we close our service together this morning, um, we're gonna take a few moments to remember how this forgiveness and how this purifying from all unrighteousness uh, was made possible. And that's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if you're serving communion this morning, we invite you to go and prepare for that right now. And as um, we examine the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made that makes this whole thing possible. Any list or anything that we, again, as we pray at the beginning, anything we do to move to be faithful to God is always going to be under the umbrella of his faithfulness to us, recognizing where it says elsewhere in scripture that nothing can actually separate us from the love of God. Everything we do to have that sense of separation is from our drifting, but we cannot be separated from God's love. And so uh, sometimes it's just a matter of waking up to that reality that already existed, that was right there before us all along, that was made possible in Jesus Christ. And the way it was made possible is that, um, well, really on the night he was betrayed, uh, the way it was made possible, we wanted to never forget. In his broken body, in his shed blood, with his original disciples, he took bread and he said, uh, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, it says in scripture that we remember, we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim how we are forgiven and purified from unrighteousness and able to have that relationship with God um, that we talked about earlier, all through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And so we want to ensure that we would never forget that, as is the temptation, as we see uh, Malachi and the people of Malachi's time, forgetting what God had done. We want to never forget what Jesus Christ did for us uh, in that primary event of our whole Christian faith. And so we remember as we take the bread and the cup. And so as, I remember, as we remember, I invite you to pray uh, with me giving thanks for that.